I have always been amazed at how every part of this world is interconnected. Whether we look at the codependency of water and oxygen for survival, or the socioeconomic demands that currently exist and how centered water is in those. It is almost surreal how naive we are when it comes to water and how little we do to preserve the one thing essential to this planet. There seems to be a lack of awareness when it comes to water. Either people are completely aware of the problem or they don't believe there is a problem at all. I have taken upon myself the challenge to understand what water means nationwide, but especially here in Colorado. Aside from taking a water essentials course, I have been becoming more aware of my surroundings and what effects I have on this planet and understanding that doing something matters. I have come to realize that it is also my responsibility to educate myself beyond mainstream media and promote what I stand for. Water is an essential resource for many human activities required to sustain our current society, agriculture, industry, and transportation, to name a few. Water in Colorado cuts through 1,450 miles of mountains and deserts. It supplies water to 40 million people and irrigates 5.5 million acres of farmland, approximately 15% of the nation's crop and about 13% of the nation's livestock feed. The Colorado River cuts through 1,450 miles of mountains and deserts. It supplies water to 40 million people and irrigates 5.5 million acres of farmland, which is about 15% of the nation's crops and about 13% of the nation's livestock feed. 19 states in Mexico rely on Colorado River water. In Colorado specifically, we have a high demand on water, not only due to agriculture, domestic, environmental, and power generating, but also recreational use like skiing and whitewater rafting. Colorado has eight major river basins and several aquifers. Thus, water rights generate conflict in Colorado, and being known as the headwater state because several of the West's most important rivers rise from the Rocky Mountains adds to the conflict of interest both locally and for the west side of the country. Thus, population growth, agriculture use, energy development, climate variability, and over a decade of consecutive drought years have stretched the water supplies in almost every part of the Colorado River Basin. However, in 2012, Denver was tied the second best tasting water in the U.S. after South Carolina. We should be proud of the fact that we live so close to mountains that not only create outdoor activities, but also provide amazing water. In the search for more insight on Colorado water, I had the opportunity to interview Jessica Acosta, CEO of ECS, a firm that engages in the development and implementation of stormwater management compliance. The company is located in Denver, and I was informed that they are currently working in the construction of a new hospital in Greeley, as well as remodeling the RTD Civic Center station downtown. I was actually invited to join her in an inspection. I was able to see for myself how much work is put into each project and how much dedication it takes to advocate for water in any construction job. After joining her inspection, it was clear that it was in everyone's best interest to become compliant with stormwater procedures, but for different reasons. Aside from being the only woman there, she seemed to be the only one that generally was there to make sure water procedures were in place for the protection of water itself. 
It was an amazing opportunity to see firsthand what goes on in those inspection exchanges and the different interests that all these multi-million projects have in mind. After the research and the interview, I understood more of the different interests in mind when it comes to water and why socioeconomic differences are such a big factor in the water quality around the state and the country. I realized how important it is for me to educate people on water, and I also realized there is so much more to learn about water and the implications that come with water quality and water use. Hi, I'm Jessica Acosta. I'm CEO and founder of ECS, Environmental Consulting Services, and we are a consulting firm that um, provides erosion control and stormwater management services, which means that we um, look out for the water quality and uh, water quality compliance, uh, primarily in the construction industry. Can you tell me um, a little bit about your background and what you do? Uh, yeah, so I have um, been in construction for 14 years in different roles, and um, that's kind of how I got started with ECS. We um, started the company six years ago uh, because we recognized that there was, was an issue in construction trying to uh, manage the erosion control as well as the stormwater quality compliance. So who is ECS and what do they offer to the well-being of Colorado water? So ECS, um, which stands for Environmental Consulting Services, is a consulting firm that we work primarily with uh, the construction industry, uh, assisting general contractors to stay compliant with the water qu quality regulations, uh, pretty much following the intent and uh, purpose of the Clean Water Act, ensuring that um, they stay compliant with the water quality and that there are no uh, impacts or major impacts to the environment, specifically the waters while the project is under construction. Okay, so what is your specific role in the company and what do you do? Uh, I'm the CEO and founder of ECS and I um, I wear a lot of hats because we're still a growing company, so I do a little bit of everything, but my role is uh, mainly to oversee um, the staff and the projects and obviously to uh, make sure that we bring in more work so that we can continue with the growth of the company. So what measures do you take um, in ECIS? I guess what is your work and how does it directly apply to the water management? Uh, our work is uh, we pretty much, <laughs> we like to say that we're the water police. So we are uh, in uh, layman's terms, we are policing the, the water and more so the, uh, the construction sites and the general contractors to make sure that that uh, yes, there are no discharges of chemicals uh, into the waters, that there's no contamination of the water. So uh, that, that's our role as, uh, as uh, stormwater consultants. Okay, thank you. So um, moving on, I have some questions. I have a little bit of background um, with my research. So I will read that to you and then give you the question. 
So first, we're going to focus on chemical spills. Um, Environment Colorado's Bethy Schwartz released a report showing that polluters dumped 250,000 pounds of chemicals into the South Platte alone, and, to, and in 2013 specifically, there were 531 total spills of either oil, brine, drilling water, or other types of chemicals in Colorado. Can you tell me a bit of what you see day-to-day -day in regards to chemical spills? Yes, yeah, so we, uh, that's actually part of our role. Um, when um, ECS gets contracted, we uh, help the construction project put a plan in place. We develop this plan of uh, different controls and measures that will be implemented throughout the construction site uh, in order to uh, ensure the compliance and again, there's no pollution or contamination into the water. So uh, part of the permit requirements is that um, we conduct weekly or bi-weekly inspections. Uh, this is, uh, again, to ensure there's no contamination. So during the, these uh, inspections, uh, it's uh, one of the specific tasks to, to see if there's any spills, whether they are concrete spills, oil spills, or any other type of chemical on site that uh, may uh, cause contamination in the water and uh, you know a lot of times um, the controls that are put in place is for other uh, materials that are have the potential to, to spill on site and uh, the reason why this is called stormwater management is because if there is any storm or any precipitation event uh, for example if they're just um, if they're just cement on the ground but it rains then that those chemicals could potentially end up in the water via, you know, the uh, entering the inlets with, with the moving the movement of the rain and stuff like that. So what we see in site on sites is very common. We see oil spills that they come from um, from either the equipment on site or we also see concrete spills from you know, when they're building and stuff like that. And those um, have a specific plan within our plan. Uh, we also will put a spill response plan and sometimes a uh, spill prevention and control action plan, which uh, kind of um, helps them prepare for this. They also have uh, spill kits on site that are recommended by us which means uh, it's just um, it's just what it, what it uh, spells out. It's a spill kit that is ready for um, any uh, spills um, and uh, so that they can quickly clean them up. However, when there are ma major spills or, or spills of a larger size, then that has to be disposed of and cleaned up properly and there has to be a whole report called a manifest that uh, needs to be conducted. And sometimes when there are spills that end up in, in a body of water, then those need to get reported to the CDPHE, which is the uh, regulatory entity here in Colorado, uh, ensuring the water quality compliance and overseeing the Clean Water Act at a, at a state level. Okay, so do you, have you noticed that there are more chemical spills or like you have to work harder than um, before to keep compliance of this? I, I guess my question is, is it getting worse? 
like chemical spills throughout given maybe like the incoming of people from other states living here so there's more more there has to be more building uh creation and, and apartment buildings and all of that and so more building is required and so forth chemical spills and so yeah i think the uh the increase in in um in population has a big demand on the increase of uh, construction so therefore you know it's kind of like the nature of the business so in that sense yes there is a uh, a higher exposure and, ex and higher risk for spills however um, the spills within the sites and the construction that's just dependent on the uh, companies and how proactive or not they are within within their own um, uh, company policies to make sure that there's no spills on site. But yes, the nature of um, more construction projects, more uh, people here, because you know, us as population, just on day to day, we also uh, contribute to the, to the water quality because, you know, uh, sometimes I even uh, do presentations to uh, kids in, in uh, grade school because uh, I want them to learn about the importance of um, the importance of the things that we do on a day-to-day -day basis and the impact that we can have. So things, you know, just as, as simple as the the lunch trash and stuff like that. All of that can end up in the water and have a big impact. So, you know, it's the the little things that we do every day, as well as the the major things like construction sites, but. Yes, uh, with that influx of uh, population, it definitely has uh, increased the the um, contamination of the waters. Okay, so uh, there are many stories in the media concerning potential degradation degradation of water quality from hydraulic fracture stimulation or fracking used by the oil and gas industry to obtain commercial quantities of petroleum. Do you think that this is a true statement? I think that uh, it can be true because of the process and the and the uh, high potential that it has. You know, if there is something wrong goes wrong with the process, which a lot of times do, the you know the contaminants can certainly end up in the water table and and um, and, and uh, contaminate the waters that way. So yes, I think that it is a true statement. Um, I think that there's also more research to be done, but um, I mean, just the nature. If something goes wrong with the process, if one of the pipes or the casing that the uh, oil runs through breaks, or they have a, you know, even a, it's damaged and they have a small leak, that will eventually not only end up in the water, but also in the uh, soil. So um, yes, I think it's a true statement. Okay. Um, how do you think we can bridge the gap between the demand of petroleum and the quality of Colorado water? Well, I think that the demand of water is also an important issue or, yeah, an important topic because, um, as we know, 60% of our Colorado waters actually go out to other, other states um, six other states and also to Mexico so it compromises uh, the economy as well because those uh, the water rights are already are under contract and agreements to other states and so 
therefore the regulations of uh, not just the water quality but also the the water the um, yeah the water loss in Colorado are very specific because of that the, the water needs to keep flowing down to the other states that we have um, the agreements in place with but also um, so it affects and and, and uh, like I said there's a high demand however there are other ways to um, to attain the petroleum uh, but water is also in very high demand and it's also another natural resource uh, you know petroleum may may um, produce other materials however the non-renewable source of water is, is something that we need to leave so um, I think that uh, one thing uh, you know the, the high demand of the petroleum cannot uh, be more important than the well-being and the future of uh, our population because you know we pretty much need uh, water for everything it's essential for plants animals and humans so uh, I think that always takes precedent or should do moving on to climate change um, the journal water resources Research suggests that future global warming could cause Colorado River, the river and the river flow to decline by, by as much as 35 percent by the end of the century, and rising temperatures are likely already responsible for a substantial portion of the river's um, troubles today. Do you see the, the, this decline of water um, today? Yes, I think we see it. Uh, <laughs> We see it when, you know, not, not just um, in the water, you know, it's kind of see how um, just for the day-to-day -day and um, regular in, in people's lives, they may not see the decrease because they open up the faucet and water still comes out. But we do see the impacts in our rivers and not only in the rivers, but the impacts also come in our ski re res resorts because... Um, you know they're having to um, produce more man-made snow because of the there's not enough water and condensation and therefore the the uh, snowfall uh, in the mountains as there used to be and so it's costing money to produce that snow but also uh, yes the, the water levels have uh, decreased and again like I mentioned um, with the uh, the agreements that we have with the other states that uh, we are supposed to supply water in a lot of our the states uh, for example California is one of them uh, they depend on that and they, they um, the Colorado is their resource for the water so if we have a 30 35 percent decrease in water uh, that's pretty significant to um, to I mean that's a, a very significant resource reduction because if already 65% of our water goes to other states, you know, and there's a decrease of 35, so it's going to affect us here locally in the state as well as other states that depend on Colorado for the for the water supply. Um, do you feel that we have any control over climate change and what it's doing to our water quality? Yeah, certainly. I think that we all have uh, 
um, not so much control, but we definitely have an impact. I, just like I, I um, explained earlier, we all have an impact on the water quality in terms of, you know, if we throw the trash on the on the um, ground and not in the garbage can, that has an impact on the water and the environment. So we also have an impact uh, on climate change. It's all, it, everything has a cause and an effect. So everything um, that uh, is happening right now, it's the result of the things that we've been doing for years and sometimes even centuries, but, um, and we can do something about that. We need to be more responsible and, uh, and more um, careful of the actions that we take because again, it's going to have an effect. So. Yes, I, I don't know that I would call it we have control of the um, climate change, but we certainly have input and in, in, um, uh, our acts have an effect on, on the water, I'm sorry, yes, on the water quality as well as on the climate change and the environment as a whole. And I certainly think that w there are things that we can do in order to minimize or reduce um, the climate change and, and, um, and either, you know, make it stop or uh, at least reduce, at the very minimum, reduce um, the rapid changes that we're seeing now in, uh, in Colorado and then uh, outside as well. It seems that we are jeopardizing our water in order to meet socioeconomic demands of the state and even the country. Uh, do you agree? I would agree. Um, I think that uh, specifically with the government in place um, that we have right now is um, has other priorities in mind. I think there has been a shift that we can see and there's being um, put more priority on other things, on other socioeconomic issues, and uh, primarily in uh, some economic issues that um, are taken away from the resources that we have and that they, they, uh, the water quality and uh, the environmental quality is being put in the back burner or in the second place and sometimes in, in a third place, but we're certainly seeing um, the effects of that right now, you know, there has been uh, budgetary cuts that uh, provide for these resources to ensure that the water quality that the wa water quality remains in a good in a good um, condition or at least maintains its status quo. But the um, quite frankly, what concerns me the most is what we could see in the future. I mean. Um, that's just what we're seeing now, but um, the uh, the concerns are even much bigger when we think about the other things that could happen. You know, uh, changes in um, in regulations that have been put in place for a reason, and and what's to come going forward with the changes in administration, and also. Uh, even in the EPA and stuff like that. So, yes, I think that um, there definitely has been a, a shift in priorities in terms of the water, um, in the water quality, and um, 
I also think that there's more to come and that's what's scary <laughs> but um, I every regulation that is in place right now it has been put in place for a reason and uh, that's to maintain the water quality and it's because historically we've seen it how um, rivers would catch fire I mean that's something that should never have happened and and uh, we can go back to those days we can for the sake of um, allowing companies to make money we cannot go back to um, having our rivers and creeks that are not uh, a good environment for aquatic life but also even for our kids to play in or to uh, be able to do any aquatic um, activities because uh, like I mentioned before everything has a, a cause and an effect so if we are going back and allowing some of these um, um, industries to disregard the regulations that were put in place to protect the waters well the impacts uh, of that we're going to start to see them pretty quickly okay. um. So, do, do you consider yourself to be an advocate for the quality of water through your profession? Yes, most definitely. I think that is, like I mentioned at the beginning, we are the water police, so that is what we do. And uh, it's not just because it, it uh, gets us a paycheck, but because we believe in uh, it's the right thing, thing to do and uh, with uh, the knowledge of uh, the history of how the waters were prior to the EPA or prior to the Clean Water Act uh, being put in place it pri prior to it being enacted um, the bodies of water of the state and the nation were in a pretty in pretty poor condition so uh, yes I'm certainly an advocate and and um, uh, through my profession but also as a person I, I care for the water for the environment and for what we're gonna leave for um, our uh, kids and, and you know that that's just the, the impacts can be seen now and also in just uh, in just um, a few years but also it can have long-term impact so um, I want to make sure that there's something left for uh, the population in the years to come. Um, so what measures do you personally take to, to help this issue in your everyday life? Well, um, we are a green company, not just because we're environmental consultants, but we are a green company in the terms that we try to um, take every measure to contribute to the to the um, quality of the water and the environment. So we have um, company policies, and not so much policies, but it's part of our culture in place that we do things like recycling and that we try to use um, actually some of the stuff that, the products that we buy, even just for our office, are uh, recycled products. and. Uh, because we want to do our part and you know on a day-to-day -day, it's like things like picking up trash and and uh, and making sure that we don't just throw our trash in the ground things like do not disposing of uh, you know even household chemicals we have 
uh, things in our house like you know maybe an old can of paint or uh, you know sometimes people want to wash their cars in their in their house but that can also contribute you know depending on where they do it or how they do it or you know a lot of times um, we are they people want to do their own oil change and then just dispose of things that way but uh, because of uh, the knowledge that I that I have now in terms of the impact that those things that we can see as is just a, a regular thing you know it's a small thing to do that uh, may not have an impact um, I am very um, conscientious and very uh, proactive about the things that I do. Very, um, I'm very intentional about the things that I do as a person and also as a, as the CEO of my company. Okay. Um, do you think that there is a structural disconnect of water awareness in the community? Yes, I think that the EPA does its part to try to educate um, the community and the people, but, um, you know, especially as I just mentioned with budgetary cuts, uh, that just stalls things in terms of trying to, um, to provide education for those um, for the community and for the population on what the small things that they each of us can do uh, to contribute for the to yeah for the to continue um, to protect the waters you know what are some of the things that we can do on a day-to-day -day life to protect the waters and and it's just uh, uh, pretty unfortunate because I know they have some things in place and even some local governments are utilizing a few of the resources to do some of the um, education in the communities because we all have a, we all have a, a small contribution to the quality of the water but uh, you know without the education it's hard to get people on board so it, it's uh, unfortunate to see all the budgetary cuts that have been made in place at a national level and as well as at a state and local level because that's just taking away more resources. I don't think that there were enough resources uh, in place to begin with, but with those uh, cuts in, in the budget, it's going to restrict even more so um, the ability to impart that education and, and uh, in the communities. Well, um, do you think that the state actively works on water conservation and quality, or is there anything you think the city could improve on? Yeah, I think that the state certainly does their part. We have, you know, the CDPHE, the Colorado Department of Health and uh, or Public Health and Education, but um, in the and in the CDPHE, there's the water quality department they are the ones that uh, ensure and oversee all the water quality regulations um, at a state level and uh, through that they each municipality has um, a state permit that uh, an MS4 permit is what it's called in order to ensure that those um, regulations get implemented at a more municipal level. However, I think that there's more that could be done 
I think they are doing their part and they definitely care and I've seen it uh, more so at a state level but I think that at a municipal and more local level there's more that could be done um, like I said it things as simple as maybe um, um, education through the schools or just in the communities things like that so, what um to finalize what um what advice can you give community members in order to be more conscious of water quality and awareness or even proper water usage i would say that we can all do our part um like i said we uh, all contribute to the to the big pot of water, no pun intended, <laughs> that uh, we have here, but uh, we all contribute to the uh, the effects that we're seeing and the impacts that we're seeing in the water quality and the uh, climate change. So what I would say that each of us can do is just that we can watch the uh, kind of things that we do in our day-to-day -day lives, be more conscientious about the things we do it doesn't take any any more effort to throw a trash a piece of trash in the in the ground than it does in the to throw it in the trash can you know do the small things things like um i mentioned uh, watching your car out in in um in your driveway if the, the driveway is a place that you park all the time and there's oil there that will most likely end up and uh in the inlet and so you know everything that ends up in the inlet the inlets are actually connected to bodies of water to rivers creeks channels you know so it's not just like a black hole that if it goes in the inlet it disappears it actually goes directly into a body of water so just be more conscientious of the little things that we do every day things like if uh, we have a can of paint or other chemicals that are household chemicals to make sure that we dispose of those properly and not just uh, not just recklessly so that's what I would recommend okay well thank you so much for the interview today and thank you for bringing me um, on the field yeah thanks for coming along we as a community and stakeholders should evaluate how we use water and find better ways to preserve the water quality in our state. Becoming more aware of the privilege we have is one step closer toward really valuing water and preserving it for future generations.